Hebrews chapter 6. Hallelujah. Amen. You wouldn't mind sending up a prayer for, for me uh, today. God had touched my body. Amen. But I trust Him. Trust Him to heal me. Trust Him to touch my body. He's, he's a good God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. We are dealing with the eternal state. The eternal state. And um, we're going to be talking about the resurrection. <coughs> Excuse me. And the judgments, okay? Pardon me. Okay? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. The last two is what we'll be teaching on this morning will be the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Praise the Lord. So these are the ABC doctrines, uh, principal doctrines of the faith, the ABC doctrines of Christianity. So we're going to pray and ask God to help us. Father, right now we come before you. We ask your help and strength to be upon us. We thank you for the anointing, God. It will get us through anything, Father. We thank you for your healing power and touch. We thank you for the anointing to teach this morning your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're being seated. <clears throat> Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. All right. The um, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You cannot separate the resurrection from judgment. In order for there to be judgment, there must be a resurrection. It necessitates that. So these two go together. When you study the Bible, you study the resurrection, the judgments, uh, they go together in the doctrine, okay? So we're going to cover those this morning. Now go over to Hebrews chapter 9. And the Bible tells us there in verse 27 that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So if a man dies and then judgment follows that, then necessity shows us that there must be the resurrection of that person who has died in order for them to uh, be judged. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 20. And there we have <clears throat> the teaching of the great white throne, beginning with verse 1, the great white throne judgment. So let's go over there. <clears throat> And I'm going to read all of these verses here for you. Revelation chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. If you have it, say amen. How many of y'all believe there's going to be a judgment day? And a resurrection. <clears throat> okay, Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be 
loosed a little season. That's where we get that phrase millennial kingdom. Millennium simply means thousand years. So the millennial kingdom is the kingdom age. We see Satan is bound during that thousand year uh, time period on earth. Verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Now, obviously, you can't see an invisible soul. So when it says John saw the thrones and they were sitting upon them, judgments given unto them. It says, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. He's talking about people, right? So he saw them. They were beheaded. Uh, they've been resurrected. They were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived, notice that, it says they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So what you have there is a resurrection of the dead before the thousand year reign of Christ. That would be called the first resurrection. Let's continue. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the second resurrection takes place after the millennial kingdom. First resurrection takes place with the second coming of Jesus, so on and so forth. Verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great uh, white throne. So we have the re first resurrection, which is the resurrection of the saved. Then we have the second resurrection a thousand years later. And this is accompanied with a judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. Verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. You see that? He said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So we have the resurrection. You see that? The second resurrection here of the lost. And there's a judgment that's taking place in connection to that resurrection uh, at the great white throne. The Bible says in verse 13, The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell, or literally death and Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. You see the dead coming up. Okay, resurrected here. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoso was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that passage deals with resurrections, first resurrection, second resurrection, and the judgment that accompanies that. Now, let's go to the Old Testament. 
And in the Old Testament, we have the testimony of Job about the resurrection of the dead. And we've looked at this in our teaching on the book of Job. But in Job 19, we have his testimony of a resurrection that will take place in verse 25. So I'll give you time to turn there. Job 19, 25. Old Testament teaches the resurrection. First of all, <clears throat> by testimony. Job's testimony. Verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another though my reins be consumed within me. So even Job, the earliest book in the Bible, even Job had the testimony in that uh, there would be a resurrection from the dead, that his body, even though it would be eaten by worms, would be raised uh, by God. Let's go to Psalm 16, David's testimony. Psalm 16, David tells us there, and also in... 17, Psalm 17, and we'll look at these and, uh, as a testimony of David concerning the resurrection all the way back in the Old Testament. All right, 16, Psalm 16, verse 9 says, David says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. That means his tongue. My tongue rejoices, my flesh also shall what rest in hope. What is that hope? Verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. So he's saying that he believes that when he dies, he's going to rest in hope that God's going to raise him from the dead. Okay? Now in type, you know the type of Jonah? Jonah, in the book of Jonah, is swallowed by this great fish. <clears throat> he's in that fish for three days and three nights. Jonah literally died. He didn't stay alive in the belly of that fish. Jonah died. And after three days and three nights, Jonah was resurrected by God from the dead. He is a type of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And then remember the story in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes uh, Isaac up. He figuratively, in type, offers him to God and received him in type as a figure, as being resurrected from the dead. Now, Isaac wasn't actually killed, but the Bible's clear that uh, Abraham received him as a figure, a type of the resurrection, okay? So we have a type in Jonah, and we have a type in Isaac. Now, prophecy, Isaiah 26. The Old Testament prophets saw the resurrection of the dead. Isaiah 26, and this is one of my favorite scriptures on the resurrection of the dead. I like the wording, the way it is worded. It's very interesting. All right, Isaiah 26, 19. The prophets prophesied of the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> Verse 19, he says, Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. So this teaches the resurrection of the body. Okay? Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, 
and the earth shall cast out the dead. So I love the way that's worded. It's just got prophetic tone to it. It tells us here that the dead bodies shall arise and it tells us they will awake and sing. The Bible says, They that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So thy dead men shall live together with my dead body. So this picture is the resurrection. It's a picture of the resurrection of the Messiah. And because the Messiah is resurrected, the dead that are in him are going to be resurrected as well. And literally, the dust is going to cast them out uh, uh, from the graves. And then it talks about the dew here. 26, 19, it says, For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So here we have the figure of dew is a type of the resurrection. And that question was asked to me not long ago, what does dew represent in the Bible? It represents the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so Isaiah 26, 19 gives us the prophecy of the resurrection of the dead. And go to Daniel. The prophet Daniel also prophesied about the resurrection of the dead. And you will see here that we have two companies of people that Daniel gives us in Daniel chapter 12 concerning the resurrection. Daniel 12, beginning with verse 1. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble that's the tribulation period, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we have the prophecy given to us by Daniel. Hosea... Chapter 13 <coughs> gives us a prophecy as well about the resurrection. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plague. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So we have the prophecy in Isaiah 26, 19, Daniel 12, 1 through 2, and Hosea 13 and 14 that gives us prophetic declaration of the resurrection of the dead. All right, now, list a couple of them. I'm not going to look at all of them, but an actual resurrections have taken place in the Old Testament. Go to 1 Kings chapter 17, where we have a prophet by the name of Elijah who is used by God to raise the dead. 1 Kings chapter 17. <coughs> So actual resurrections in the Old Testament. All right. Verse 17, it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. His sickness was sore that there was no breath left in him. So this widow's son dies. And the Bible says, And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou coming to me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? He said unto her, Give me thy son. He took him out of her bosom, carried him up into a loft where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. He cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, 
Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow which with whom I have sojourned by slain her son? He stretched himself upon the child three times, cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child so come unto him again. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, brought him down out of the chamber into the house, and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See thy son liveth. So we have the widow's son here that died, literally physically died. The Bible tells us that the prophet Elijah took him up, put him in that little room that the widow had made for him. He laid upon the child three times, and then the child came alive, resurrected from the dead. So actual resurrection took place in the Old Testament. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. We have another prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha, who received the mantle of Elijah, also is used by God to raise a dead son. Okay, she received this child by a miracle. All right, let's go verse 18, 2 Kings 4, 18. Another actual resurrection from the dead in the Old Testament. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out of his father, uh, out to his father to the reapers. He said unto his father, my head, my head. So he had a sunstroke of some kind. And the Bible says, and he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. So he's out in the field, he's working, he gets, gets a sunstroke of, of some kind, and then he dies. Um, the Bible tells us here, gives us the time frame here, until noon. Verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, this being Elisha, shut the door upon him, and he went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. He said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him? So anyway, the long story is that she goes to the man of God, Elisha. Uh, Gehazi tries to raise the child from the dead with the staff, which is a picture of the law. So he took the staff, he laid it upon the child. The law didn't raise him from the dead. Okay? So then after Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, tries to raise the young man from the dead by the staff we would call that the law. That's a type. Then the Bible tells us that Elisha comes in, lays upon the child, and lays upon the child. And the scripture says he sneezes seven times. Okay? Sneezes seven times. Seven sneezes. Okay, so praise the Lord. We see the resurrection of this child. And I'll read the latter part of it to you. St. Kings chapter 4. Again, after Gehazi tries to raise him. You get all these... Okay, verse 29 tells you about the staff. Where Gehazi tries to lay the staff on the face of the child. Nothing happens as a result of that. Verse 34, we see Elisha. He went up and lay upon the child, put his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. He stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Are you with me? Verse 35, then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So the first time the prophet Elisha lays on him then his, his body starts warming him up. And the second time he lays on him puts his eyes on his eyes so on and so forth 
The scripture tells us he sneezes seven times and he wakes up, his eyes open. So we have actual pro, um, events of the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament. You can also look at uh, 2 Kings 8, 5, which we will do. 2 Kings 8, 5, let's go there. We have the record of it again. <clears throat> Came to pass as he was telling the king how he, he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he'd restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. So we have the record of it there. Let's go to 1320. St. Kings 1320. This is very interesting. Elisha dies. The prophet himself dies. <coughs> Thirteen twenty. Elisha died, there, and they buried him. And the bands of Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men. They cast the man in the sepulchre of Elisha. When the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha. He received, he revived, and stood upon his feet. So, you know, Elisha's dead. He's in the grave. And they cast this dead man over on top of him, and this man comes alive. That shows you how much power there was in that man of God. So that even when he was dead, he still had enough power to raise somebody from the dead. So just, I mean, how would you like to be uh, the people that threw him in there? The bands of the Moabites. I mean, you know, here's a sepulcher, here's a grave. You know, it won't have hurt to have another person in there. Throw him in there, and all of a sudden this guy comes alive. That's amazing. Shows you the power of God that was in that man. <clears throat> okay, praise the Lord. Look at Jude verse 9. <coughs> we know that God buried Moses himself. Um, I don't. The word kill is a strong word, but it's really a fact that the Lord killed Moses and buried Moses in Moab. Uh, let's go over to the book, book of Jude, Jude verse 9. Okay, like yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now Moses, now remember Moses was buried by God in Moab. We read that in Deuteronomy 34. We've been teaching a little bit on that. So God killed Moses, buried him in Moab. But you remember that Moses appears with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? Okay. So it's very interesting that we see that God uh, evidently raised Moses from the dead. Okay. Let's go over and let's look in the New Testament. We have New Testament teaching on the resurrection of the dead as well. John 5, 28. Now you remember when Elisha was taken up in the chariot? He didn't die. Elijah, I'm sorry. Elijah was taken up. He didn't die. When God came and took Elijah to heaven with him, there is some encrypted statements where Elijah is taken in the chariot to heaven with, to be with the Lord. Encrypted in the Hebrew there, it tells us that, Elisha, uh, that Moses was taken too. So that when 
uh, Elijah was caught up in the chariot. You remember God had already killed Moses and already buried him, encrypted in the Hebrew, tells us that when he took Elijah, that he also took Moses. Very interesting, right? So we, and then we see them in the New Testament uh, standing on the Mount of Transfiguration, both Moses and Elijah. Okay, John 5, 28. <clears throat> teaching, teaching in the, in the New Testament, which we've already, by the way, already taught, taught, taught you that before uh, when Elijah was caught up in that chariot encrypted in the Hebrew, Moses was taken at that time. Okay, John 5, 28. Let's go over there. Jesus says this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice. Right? Jesus said, everybody that's in the grave, whether it's a person that's a believer and that's righteous that comes out in the first resurrection, or whether it's an unbeliever that's unholy and unrighteous that come out in the second resurrection and is judged, everybody's going to hear His voice and they're going to come out of the graves. Now, if Jesus, when He raised Lazarus from the dead, if He would have just said, come forth, everybody would have came out of the graves at that time. But He called Lazarus by name. You remember that? Lazarus has been dead four days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And when He does, Lazarus is raised from the dead and He comes out of the grave. If He had said, just come forth, everybody would have come out of the grave. The Bible says there's coming a time when everyone will hear His voice. This is what Jesus is saying. Uh, in the graves, verse 29, they shall come forth, they that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, unto the resurrection of damnation. So that is the teaching of Jesus Himself. Go to John 6, verse 39. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which I, which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So He's going to raise the dead. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which sit the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Again, Jesus teaching Himself on the resurrection, that He would raise the dead. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Making sure I got all the verses I need here. Okay. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and are what? dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. 
And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last days. So multiple times in John chapter 6, we see Jesus uh, gives us the teaching on the resurrection of the dead that he would raise the dead. Okay? Now, in actuality, we have a few examples here in Matthew chapter 9 with the raising of Jairus' daughter. Let's go over there real quick. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus raised uh, this young woman. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9. The story begins with a man's daughter who is sick. He's going to Jesus that Jesus may heal her and in the process this woman comes and touched the hem of his garment and uh, she's healed she had that blood the issue of blood for 12 years and reaches up and touched the hem of his garment so delayed Jesus from getting to Jairus's house so you, you can imagine how the man must have felt as he's going to Jesus to, to get Jesus to come and heal his daughter and Jesus gets delayed on the way and he finds out that you know the daughter dies so he's probably pretty upset at some people there that delayed Jesus from getting to the house, right? Well, let's see what happens. Okay, beginning with verse 18. While he spake these things unto him, behold, there came a certain ruler, worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her. So I'm mistaken, I apologize. Uh, she actually was dead at that time. Okay, Jesus rose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch the garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame uh, hereof went abroad into all the land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. So we see the account of Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. Luke chapter 7, the widow of Nain. It's interesting how many widows' sons get raised in the Bible. The widow of Nain gets raised. Luke seven eleven. Okay, it came to pass the day after that when he went into the city called Nain, many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Much people of the city were with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. He came and touched the briar, the bier, which is the, like the coffin thing. He's on top. It's not a box or anything. But anyway, 
he came and touched the beer, the beer, and they bare him stood still. He said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead set up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. There came a fear on all. They glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen upon uh, among us, that God visited uh, his people. So we see Jesus raising the widow of Nain's son here in actuality. Then we have the resurrection of Jesus. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 27, Acts 17, verse 30 through 31. All right? So actual resurrections. Now, there will be two resurrections. Let's go over to Revelation 20 again. Two resurrections. The Bible teaches the resurrection of the just and then the resurrection of the unjust. Right? So there's not going to be one general resurrection when everybody comes out at the same time. Bob was very clear there's going to be two resurrections. The first resurrection, and then there's going to be a second resurrection. The first resurrection is for the righteous. second resurrection is the resurrection of the lost. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. It says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Right? So we have the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of the lost, and then a thousand years later. So the first resurrection, a thousand years later, we have the second resurrection, of the the lost. All right, let's go over there. In verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered at the dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whoso was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we see there's a separation. So let me give you that separation here. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So we have the first resurrection, then a thousand years later, we have what is known as the second resurrection, and that has to do with the lost, and it's separated by a thousand years. Okay? See that? All right. Uh, it's called two resurrections. It's called the resurrection of the righteous. It's called the first resurrection, 20 verses 4 through 6. It's called resurrection of everlasting life. Daniel 12.2. This is dealing with the first resurrection of the righteous. Okay, Again, it's called the first resurrection. Revelation 24-6. through 6, It's called the resurrection of everlasting life. Daniel 12.2. It's called a better resurrection in Hebrews 11.35. It's called the resurrection of the just. Luke 14.14. 14. It's called the resurrection of life. John 5.29. And that's the resurrection of those that are blessed and those that are holy. 
Now the second resurrection is not the resurrection of those that are unsaved and uh, they are unholy. So they are the cursed and unholy ones. We see the second resurrection is given in 20 verses 4 through 6 again separated by a thousand years. It's called the resurrection of the unjust. Acts 24, 15. Okay, it's called the resurrection of damnation. John 5. Let's look at that real quick. John chapter 5. So we see it's a different resurrection at a different time. Right? Jesus said, and they sh and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So again, you see two resurrections taught? Okay. All right, so again, the second resurrection, Revelation 24 through 6, resurrection of the unjust, Acts 24, 15, resurrection of damnation, John 5, 29, and then Daniel 12, 2. You remember when we read that, it says there's a resurrection of those that, uh, of, of, that will go to everlasting life and then there is the resurrection of those who experience everlasting shame and contempt. Let's go over there. Daniel chapter 12. So you'll see the two resurrections again. All right, Daniel 12 and verse 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, which is, of course, the resurrection of the righteous, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So the second resurrection is known as the resurrection of the unjust, the resurrection of damnation, and the resurrection of shame. Okay? We've already covered the fact it's a thousand years apart. Uh, now, the nature of the body for the saved. What kind of body will the saved have? I'm going to go through many of these. We're not going to read them all. But there's one, two, three, four, five, six statements that I'm going to give you about the nature of the body for the saved. Okay? Number one, it is a real body of flesh and bones. Luke 24, 39. A real body of flesh and bones. It doesn't have the blood in it, but it's a real body of flesh and bones, okay? Then it's called, in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, it's called a spiritual body. So again, I encourage you to take notes on all this because you're not going to remember all this if you don't. Uh, a spiritual body. And then we have in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4, it's called a redeemed body. Philippians 3.21 is called a glorious body. 1 Corinthians 15.42 it's called an incorruptible body. And then 1 Corinthians 15.47 on through uh, tells us it's a heavenly body. Also 2 Corinthians 5.1 through 6. Okay? So for the saved, it's a real body, a spiritual body, a redeemed body, a glorious body, an incorruptible body, and a heavenly body. Now, the resurrection of the lost, the body concerning the resurrection of the lost, there is no description given to us 
about the resurrection of the body of the lost, what kind of body they will have. No descriptions given. But we know by what Jesus said uh, and also what Daniel said that they will have a body. So let's go over to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And the scriptures found in 1028, which is proof that they will have a body. Okay? Now, obviously, that body is in Gehenna. It's in the lake of fire. And it is burning. The body doesn't just annihilate. It doesn't just go into hell and doesn't just uh, get destroyed. It continues to burn throughout eternity. But we know it's a body, even though it's not described for us like the nature of the body of the believer. It says here in Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Okay? So we know that not only is the soul tormented in hell, but the body of an unbeliever is in hell. We just don't know what type of body it is. It's going to be experiencing literal pain, literal suffering, literal burning, etc. Okay? Daniel chapter 7 talks about the beast. Daniel 7 and in verse 11 will read uh, what the prophet says about the beast. Seven eleven. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain. So he's killed physically. And his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now again, that doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean when the Antichrist is cast into the lake of fire that his body is just going to burn up. It's going to be an ongoing eternal thing. Okay? So the Bible is very clear. It's not just the soul of the person that experiences the burning flame, but the body as well experiences the burning flame. Now, that, now, to contemplate that, to think about what that would be like, to be cast into the lake of fire, not just your soul, but your body in that fire burning forever and ever and ever. Now, because there's no description of the body itself, what kind of body it is, what the nature of it is, there's some people that speculate that once the person is cast into that fire, that their body burns up and they become disembodied spirits forever. And they experience flames in a disembodied state forever and ever. I don't necessarily believe that because the Bible's clear that the body goes on and is suffering and in torment forever and ever and ever. Okay? All right. So anyway, that is the nature of the body, of the believer and the unbeliever. Now let's get into the judgments. Judgment is required, first of all, by conscience. Because the Bible says, remember Romans chapter 2, the Bible talks about the conscience accuses or excuses. So the conscience of an individual demands that there's going to be a judgment because the conscience is accusing people. It's an accuser. So the conscience, number one, demands there be a judgment. Number two, history demands that there's a judgment. History in the sense that men have done unjust things throughout history, so there must be a judgment that's going to make those things right that men did throughout history. Now, we know that 
People have not suffered for the things they've done in this life. Not in a total way. So there must be an eternal judgment that's going to make things right, okay? History tells us there's been a lot of injustice, and so as a result of that, there must be a judgment to correct all of that. And the third reason is the justice of God. The justice of God demands that there be a judgment because His law has been broken. And because His law has been broken, there must be a judgment on that, okay? God is a righteous and holy God. Now, the aspects of judgment, number one, past. Judgment in the past, there's judgment in the present, and there's judgment in the future. The past judgment was when Jesus was hanging on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, judgment took place. Judgment upon Satan. Satan defeated, or, or Jesus defeated Satan on the cross when he died. Okay? So Satan and his host were judged on the cross. Secondarily, you're in my sin was judged on the cross. So that's the past judgment. Now there is a present judgment. Let's go on and look in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 20. A present judgment that takes place from time to time when God uh, judges the sinner in this life. First Timothy 1 and verse 20. <coughs> I think I'll start in verse 19. It says, Holding the faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So the Bible talks about there are some people. Now this is not talking about people in the world. This is talking about people who once were in the church. Um, it says, Some have put away concerning faith, which have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So that's an example of present judgment where Paul says that he literally delivered these people over into the hands of Satan. They made shipwreck the faith. So there was an actual judicial uh, thing that took place by the Apostle Paul concerning these two individuals where he literally delivered them into the hands of Satan. So there was a present judgment that takes place on blasphemers. Okay? Future judgment. Let's go to Acts 24. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> 25, Acts 24, 25, the Apostle Paul is standing before Felix. And as Paul is preaching to him, obviously conviction comes on him. He starts trembling. And the Scripture tells us, as Paul is reasoning with him, of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go by way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So the Bible is very clear about a future judgment. So present a past judgment when Jesus died on the cross judged Satan and his host and also my sin. And then we have present judgment at times when God comes and judges sinners in this life like Alexander and Hymenaeus who were blasphemers that turned over to Satan. And Paul talks here to Felix about a future judgment uh, when people stand before the Lord. Okay. The day of judgment is appointed day 
is an appointed day for the believer and the unbeliever. And I'm not going to read all these scriptures, but a day is appointed. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.10, Acts 24.25, Revelation 20, verse 11 through 5. An appointed day, okay? And then we have an appointed judge. It's the Lord Jesus himself, John 5, 22 through 27. An appointed judge. Jesus is going to be the one that judges. And the purpose of it is appointed purpose. It is to reveal true character. Matthew, let's go there. Matthew 10, 26. True character will be revealed on judgment day. says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. The character, everybody's character, my character, your character, everybody's character will be um, revealed at that time. So that is one purpose. The value of works. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3.13. Will be revealed at that time. The value of works. This particular passage deals with the believer standing before the Lord at the Bama seat, the judgment seat of Christ. All right. 1 Corinthians 3.13 Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is or what kind it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward. Okay. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. So we see here that the works of an individual will be seen or manifested at the time of the judgment, the value of those works. We see the reward or punishment. Okay. It is re reward. Let me see here. Reward or punishment. Right. Because it's not always made in this life. Let's go to Revelation 22, 12. Okay, there must be a reward and punishment because it doesn't always take place in this life, which we've seen as we've gone through the book of Job. All right, Revelation 22 and verse 12. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And obviously this reward is talking about not just reward for the righteous, but reward of punishment for the wicked. Okay? So the purpose of it then is to reveal true character, the value of works, reward or punishment as men are not always punished in this life. Uh, Revelation 19, 1 through 2 vindicates God's righteousness. Revelation 19, 1 through 2. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation, glory, honor, power and our, to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. So even people are going to recognize in those days of judgments that the judgment is a correct judgment, that it's righteous. Okay? So that's the appointed purpose. So we have the appointed day, 
the appointed judge, the appointed purpose, and then we have the appointed standards. The standards of judgment will be righteousness, Acts 17.31, Psalm 96.13. The standards of God's holiness or holy standards, Romans 2.6, 2.10, and 2.11, and Revelation 22.12. Okay? So, again, the standards is right, His righteousness and their holy standards. What will be judged will be the attitude toward Christ, John 12, 48. Okay? And then also light and opportunity, Luke 12, 48. Y'all with me at this point? Okay? So the standard for the judgment is God's righteousness, God's holiness. Uh, also that standard, our attitude toward Christ, light and opportunity. See, everybody's going to be based on the light that they had available to them. Okay? And the opportunity was given them, Luke 12, 48. And there are different degrees in judgment, Luke 19, 16 through 19. Not everybody's going to be judged the same. Okay? And then Jude 14 through 15, once again, that uh, judgment will be acknowledged as being righteous. So you have then, in these judgments, you have two destinies. The next uh, topic will be two destinies, or two of the heading, two destinies, heaven or hell, right? Now, in eternity, uh, the judgment will give rewards for the believer, and these rewards, which we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, and then you have also 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11 at the Bama seat. These are not bribes from God. Okay, so we get judgment for the Lord, but we are going to be rewarded. Now, what is interesting, we talked about in the book of Job, that if we live righteous or whatever, we repent of our sin, that, you know, God is not obligated to reward us in any way. So he doesn't do this as a bribe. He does it out of his own goodness. If he does reward us, it's coming out of his own benevolence. It's coming out of his own goodness. Okay, not because we necessarily deserve it. It's definitely not to bribe us, but it's coming out of his goodness. Okay? Um, Romans 14, 10 through 12 tells us that we will give account of ourselves before the Lord. I want to read that one. Romans 14, 10 through 12. <coughs> Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why doest thou set and not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's translated from the Greek Bama seat. Now, do you all understand what that is? Now, this is a separate judgment, remember, from the lost. They're, they're judged at the great white throne judgment as far as eternal destiny is concerned. But here the believer is being judged. And this does not, this judgment is not about salvation. This doesn't determine if you're saved or not. You are saved. If you stand before God at this judgment, you are saved. So the judgment seat of Christ, known as the Bama seat, was an elevated seat that the judge would sit on. He would watch the, uh, the games, the Olympic games or the Corinthian games, whatever they might be. And, you know, first place comes in and then they're given a victor's crown or a laurel wreath. And uh, so based on the place that you came in, you received a particular type of recognition from that famous seat from the judge 
So when we look in Romans 14, it says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's that famous seat. And what this is teaching us, we've saved, we're saved, we've arrived, we've crossed the finish line. But what it's telling you is that there will be people that will receive rewards. Now, not everybody gets first place. Not everybody gets second place, right? But you will be rewarded because everybody that is a believer will stand before the Lord as a Christian in the church before the Lord and receive rewards at the Bama seat. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So what we see then in these verses is that we will give account to God for our life. I will, you will, everybody here will give an account to God for our life, what we did with our life, what we did with our time, what we did with our talents, what we did with our money, what we did with the gifts that God gave us, what we did with the opportunities that God gave us, so on and so forth. Every one of us are going to give an account to the judge at the Bama seat for what we did, okay? All right, so it's very important that we live a righteous life. So we have incentives from the Lord, not bribes, but we have incentives from the Lord because we know that if we served him faithfully that he's going to reward us at the Bama seat. Okay? 1 John 4, 17, Revelation eleven eighteen teaches us that we can appear before God boldly or we can appear before him ashamed. So obviously we want to appear when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, we want to be bold. We want to know that we lived for Him, that we lived righteously, that we did what we should do. So we have boldness when we stand before the Lord. There's some people in the church, and I pray that I'm not one of them, you know, and I'm sure you pray the same. They'll stand before God on, the, on Judgment Day at the Bama seat, and the Bible says they will be ashamed. They're saved, but they, you know, they're ashamed because things are being revealed opportunities lost so on and so forth so there's going to be either boldness at that judgment or there's going to be shame at that judgment all right reward is used over a hundred times in the new testament when we talk about reward we're talking about reward for the righteous and punishment for the wicked so there's a reward either you're righteous receive reward reward that way or if you're wicked you receive reward that way but over a hundred times in the new testament uh it reward is talked about again not a bribe but incentive okay let's go to ephesians 6 and verse 2 Okay, so we verse one, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with what? Promise, say promise. So when you serve God as your father, see, he's your father. He's not bribing us to live for him. He's not bribing us to, to serve him. He's not bribing us to do good works. But because he's a father, just like a father likes to do good things for their kids when their kids excel when their kids do real good what does a father do a father rewards them for that so it's a father son relationship type of thing when we stand before the lord he wants to reward his children for the good for the works that they have done so it's a fatherly kind of a thing 
that we see here. Okay? You understand that? Does that make sense? All right, here's the rewards, possible rewards. We've already covered these uh, in a previous message on a Sunday night. We talked about the signs of the time. Uh, so I won't go into detail on this. But I think, Brother John, what we need to do is probably take that message and need to put it incorporated into the uh, theological teaching, okay? But I'll get with you on that and I'll give you a title for it. Uh, but anyway, here's some of the rewards for the believer. There's the crown of life, the crown of glory, crown of rejoicing, crown of righteousness, and the incorruptible crown. So those five crowns, which we have already taught uh, you before. Five crowns. And then we have the reward of a prophet and a righteous man. Matthew 10, 41 through 42. The reward of a prophet and a righteous man. And then we have Revelation eleven eighteen reward of saints and servants. Revelation 4, 4 and 3, 11 tells us they are crowns of gold. And then Revelation 22, the Bible tells us they are, that they're with him. Let's go over there. Revelation 22 and verse 12, he says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his works shall be. So that's the possible uh, rewards for the believer. Okay? All right, what about the judgment and reward on the unbeliever? Let's go back over to Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11, we see the judgment of the lost person here. It's called the great white throne judgment. Okay, verse 11 through 15. Again, I'll read it. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened. Okay. So we have the books that are open. Do you see that? What books are you talking about? You teach Bible studies, you know. Remember Jesus said, the word that I have spoken, it will judge you in the last day. Remember he said that? So the book here, the books that are open have to be the 66 books of the Bible. So we have, because God's not going to judge us for something we don't have. So he's going to open the books. It's, it's the books of, of his word. His, he's going to judge us by his word. All right. Not something that we don't have, but what we do have. So the books are opened and then we have another book is open. It's called the book of life. So you have the books of the Bible. Then you have a book of life. Now, what's the book of life? It's the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so these are people who are born again believers. They're in the Lamb's book of life. That means they have believed, okay, and experienced the new birth that Jesus Christ provided. So this book of life is going to be there, and the books of the Bible are going to be opened up. You're going to be judged by the Word of God, okay? Not by what I think, not by what you think, but by the Word of the Lord. Now, Obviously, the Bible condemns everybody. 
Okay, the 66 books of the Bible condemn us. We all have come short of the glory of God. Okay, so if you are basing your salvation then on good works, the 66 books of the Bible will be used by the Lord to show you, if you're lost, why you're lost. He's going to show you his law. You broke my law in your thoughts, your words, your deeds. Here it is in the Bible. Here's the law that you broke, okay? You with me? Now remember, the book of life is over here in the, in the passage. But then it talks, it continues and it says this, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So there has to be then not only the books of the Bible because we're going to be judged by the word of God. There has to be the book of life. But the Bible says there is a record of the works that were done. So you've got a book of everything that a person has ever done is recorded in these books. So what we have then is the Lord is going to take the book, the record of the person's life, their thoughts, their words and their actions that have been recorded in these books. And he's going to take that. He's going to compare that with the Bible, his law, his word. All right. Now, he's going to show that person based on his law, based on his word, where they violated his law. And here's the record of everything that they did. Okay, so God's got his law. He's got the record of what they did. And, and they're showed by his law why they are lost. The only hope they have is if their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Which means Jesus Christ took their place on the cross, died in their place, took that penalty upon himself. He paid the price. Okay, for that broken law. So a search will be made into that book of life to see if that person, if their sins were remitted by the blood of the Lamb, if they became a part of the family of God. And if that's the case, if their name is in the Lamb's book of life, okay, then they won't die for the works they committed in breaking the word of God. The sad part about it is, is that they won't find their name there. And so they had their opportunity. God shows by the law, by his word, uh, what was required of man. He shows man the works that were recorded. Every thought, every word, every action. Comparison is made. Person now knows why they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. But you got one chance. Did, were you a believer in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Did you become a born-again believer? Is your sins remitted by the blood of the Lamb? He took your place. And if he did, and your name is recorded there in that book, then you can come into heaven. If not, you'll be cast into the, into the lake of fire because you have broken the law of God. And all the records will be there. Okay? So that's what this is talking about right here. Uh, now, a lot of people escape in this life from experiencing judgment. You know, they do bad things. They say bad things. They... They think bad thoughts, so on and so forth, and the judgment of God doesn't come upon them immediately. So this is why Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, tells us that there's a judgment day coming where God's going to make all of this right. Everything's been recorded that they did, and we have the Word of God, the Law of God, the Standard of God, comparison be made, all right? If their name is there, though, they'll be saved. Excuse me. So what we have here, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, is the judgment upon the ungodly. 
Okay? Now, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> judgment will also fall upon cities. This is interesting. <clears throat> cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre, Sidon, Capernaum, even modern cities are going to be judged by God. Okay? Now, how do you judge a city? Well, obviously, you're judging the individuals in that city. But the Bible is very clear that not only individuals will be judged, but by but cities will be judged. So if you want these scriptures, I'll give them to you. Uh, Matthew 10, 15. Matthew 11, 20 through 24. Matthew 12, 38 through 42. Ecclesiastes 11, 9. Okay? So again, cities like Sodom, Gomorrah, Tyre, Sidon, Capernaum, modern cities will be judged by uh, the Lord. So we have then judgment and reward, reward for the believer, and then the rewards of the ungodly in this part of the teaching. Okay. Uh, continuing on down, the judgment upon the unbeliever, like rewards such as on Balaam, 2 Peter 2, 13 through 15. It's called the uh, wages of unrighteousness. All right, the judgment upon the wages of unrighteousness. This man, uh, people that are like him, are going to receive wages for that unrighteousness. And then we see in Acts 1 18, Judas is, is called, let's go there and get the wording right. Acts 1 18. talking about Judas Iscariot. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong he burst asunder in the mist and all his bowels get, uh, gushed out. So here we have, it's called the reward of iniquity. So different types of rewards for different kinds of people depending on your, your position in Christ. So this deals with then the resurrections and the judgments. Now, we gave you a very basic understanding of it within those judgments upon the believer at the time of the raptures, the Bema seat. We talked about Jesus, the judgment upon Jesus on the cross where he defeated Satan, his host, and sin. That's one judgment. Okay, We have the judgment of the believer. Now, this is a pre-tribulation rapture chart. Won't go by that, personally. Uh, we have the at the second coming of Jesus, the resurrection and rapture of the church, and the reward. Okay. Right here, the judgment here. See? So we got the judgment of Jesus on the cross. This chart, chart shows another judgment, judgment number two. The judgment of the believer, the Bama seat, where the believer receives rewards. Okay, do you see that? That judgment there? Okay. Now, we have at the second coming of Jesus, when he comes back to the earth. Let me see if I can find... I didn't take time to look at this before I started, which I should have. 
judgment number three. I got four and five, looking for three. One, we have the one where Jesus is judged on the cross. Number two, we have the judgment seat of Christ. I have not seen number three. Anyway, number four, let me see if I can find it in just a moment. Uh, judgment number four, the judgment of nations. So the great white judgment, throne judgment is not the only judgment. We have the judgment of living nations at the second coming of Jesus uh, when he comes back to the earth. Then we have number five over here, the judgment of the lamb and the wife, okay, according to this chart. So anyway, there is a judgment upon Satan and demonic spirits at the second coming of Jesus. So let me see if I can just go through this. We have the judgment of Jesus on the cross. We have the judgment of the church at the great white throne judgment. We have a judgment upon uh, Satan and his uh, demonic host. We have a judgment, and that's after the kingdom age. Okay, we have a judgment of the living nations before the kingdom age, and we have the judgment of the great white throne uh, after the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay, so let me go over that again. We have the judgment of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have the judgment of the church at the rapture of the church. The second coming of Jesus. We have the judgment of living nations.